0: World schooling, unschooling, alternative schooling, homeschooling, or just creating a whole new style of learning.
1: Welcome to Honey Am Homeschooling the Kids. My name is Robin Robertson, and I'm the creator and host of this podcast. And I also am a home educating parent. We have two kids, and my husband, kids, and I have been on this natural learning journey for nine years and counting. And if you don't already know, let me tell you, we began this journey not to be homeschooling this long. (laughs) We actually wanted to travel with our kids for a certain amount of time, and homeschooling was just the most flexible option to do so. So we started on this journey without the expectation that we would still be here learning as we go every day but it truly has been an unexpected gift so if you also know a little bit about me you'll know that as you probably are here to learn or here to to gather I had questions probably the same questions that you have about homeschooling about learning about my previous beliefs of childhood and parenting and learning and school and education All these questions and doubts and fears started coming up as we started to live a life that looked less and less like school, less and less like the learning that I knew as a kid growing up in the school system. And the questions came because even though our lives looked so different, things were flowing. My kids were still learning. They were even more curious and engaged, and we were having fun with it without the struggles that we were facing within school. So, of course, you know, I wanted to learn more. I wanted to reach out more. And I started connecting with more community over time. And I found that others had the same questions. were facing similar doubts or fears. And, you know, why not bring it all together in a platform like this where we can tackle those questions and those fears and doubts. We can learn. We can connect with community and support each other. And we can be inspired and encouraged from the stories of others who have already been on this journey before us, that have been living this journey, or who even are just starting out on this journey, but have such great things to share. Because we don't always hear the stories of those who have lived their own natural learning path. We're starting to more and more, but usually the stories we hear of learning or the research or the data or the studies all come within a school structure or school classroom not with a life of learning outside of those walls. So I think we need to hear more of those stories. We need to understand more of those stories and be inspired and share those stories to let others know that there isn't just the one way. There are many other ways that we can live and learn. So welcome to this podcast, and that's what we're here to do. I'm always happy to hear feedback, to receive questions, and to get your support, of course. So another way that support is really appreciated is through my Patreon community. There's This community has grown in so many ways, and one of them is my Patreon community. So I want to give a shout out to a few of my patrons today. If you go to patreon.com slash homeschooling the kids, you can join the Patreon community, help support this podcast, because if you know podcasts, they take time, effort, and funds to keep them going. And we're on, in our sixth season. So thank you for the support. Uh, so I wanted to give a shout out to some patrons that have been around for a while and some new patrons as well i'm getting behind on that so i'm gonna do that make sure i continue to do that with each episode so emily homeschooling the hippies thank you very much for your ongoing support Delena, Kristen swindles marnie love jennifer coons cancion and carla yuchuk Those are a few patrons that I want to give a shout out to today. And I want to thank you for your support and your engagement, your questions that you send in. Patreon is a great place to have a direct line to me. Uh, I also host Patreon Lives once a week. Or, sorry, once a month. And I try my best to answer very direct and open questions within that community as well. And you get other special perks like downloads and freebies, as well as recordings and episodes that you don't necessarily hear on the podcast. Either you get early, early recordings or recordings that I'm, you know, that will just stay on the Patreon community, but might not be released publicly through the podcast. Another way that we've been able to grow the community and support you as a homeschooling parent or a parents looking for an alternative learning path is through our Clubhouse rooms. I have a club on Clubhouse, Honey, I'm Homeschooling. And we have weekly rooms. I, I'll put all the links in the show notes so you can go to the schedules there. Uh, my master class, my classes. I have a master class that's a small group master class for new and old homeschooling parents that are looking to support their natural learning journey, clarify their values and guiding purpose in learning and childhood and parenting, and really learn how to create a, a flow and framework for your unique family's learning journey. Uh, so, and also, I support you through learning how to transition and and go through that de-schooling process as well. So it's a small group masterclass. My next one starts January 27th. And if you are looking for support, mentorship, and a closer community, definitely check that out. The other thing that we have through Clubhouse that Kelly Edwards and I began last summer, and we're doing our next our second summit, how to be an awesome homeschooler So if you go to how to, how to be an awesome homeschooler dot com our next summit will be out will be live. March 18th. So definitely join us. We've got a killer lineup. I mean, our last one was spectacular. This one is going to be spectacular. And there's so much support for you. So we have Kelly and I will be doing a workshop on homeschooling and unschooling teens. Leah McDermott of Your Natural Learner is joining us. Ainsley Arment from Wild and Free is joining us. Uh, Car- um, Karen Ricks from Uh, Your Kitchen Classroom, and Karima Akila of the Genius School is also joining us. So we have keynotes, we have workshops, we have digital swag bags, we have Q&As. That day is going to be the day you need to prepare for your lifelong homeschooling journey or your self-directed learning journey, truly. So you can go to the website and, and have Early Bird sign up. It's on Clubhouse, and you know you can access those all those links will be there as well so i definitely encourage you to join us for that spectacular day okay there is more but i'm just going to get to this awesome episode that we have so this season we are exploring the de schooling process more and more. And this episode, my guest today is Ikana And Ikanem is a musical parenting coach. And you may ask, okay, so what does this have to do with deschooling? <laughs> so much, let me tell you. This episode is fantastic. And Ikanem, this conversation blew my mind. I loved it. You know, we talk about the basis of this episode is that all behavior is musical. But somewhere along history, time, and our adulthood, we've disconnected from that fact. So music, we, you know, music is really about connecting with other people. We are all musical, and music can be shown and practiced in so many forms, but really it's about our expression and our communication. So I want to ask you, how many times maybe you personally have heard this when you're little, you've said this to your children, or you've heard this in a classroom, stop fidgeting. Inside voices only today. You have to stay at your desk. Be still. You're too loud. Don't move so much. Learn to sit still and concentrate. Or have you thought to yourself, I can't sing. Or have you been told that you're not musical or that you can't sing or even referred to as tone deaf? So much of our vocabulary now tamps down a lot of that musicality and creativity. And we're talking about music, our basic musicianship, and how to maybe improve and reconnect with what's lost on that, how to support it in our children, musicking, the practice of talking to ourselves about music, and communication within rhythm, tone, movement, from infancy all the way to beyond. So, I love this because this is definitely also an episode where Econom says it's never too late. So, when we go into us, it's not that, oh, I, I haven't done this yet, I'll never get it back, or I'm not sure if I can support my kids in getting this back. You can, it's never too late. And you know, we really talk about as well bringing music into the rhythm of our day. So, this is not just about music lessons, this is about reliving and reconnecting with our natural musical journey so let me know your thoughts reach out you know how to reach out to me whether through its social media instagram facebook my email or my website and i would love to hear and connect with you on deschooling and refinding our musicality And after this episode, if you're inspired and want to connect with Ikanem as well, I have her links in the show notes as well, as well as a special offer for parents on supporting and helping to support you in continuing to develop and support your children in their musicality as well. So enjoy the episode. So today, welcome to Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. I have Ikanem Ibine with us. Akanem is a musical parenting coach. Thank you for coming on the show today, Akanem.
2: Thank you, Robin. I'm really happy to be
1: here. I'm excited to have you here. So Akanem has actually had 15 years of experience as a kids and family music programmer in a wide range of musical styles. She's trained in developmental music psychology and certified to teach music for infants and young children by the Gordon Institute for Music Learning. She has worked with kids and adults from over 15 countries. All right, welcome. I know it, it's your bio tells a lot, but I know also you live quite an interesting, diverse life as well with a host of experiences as well, and we can get into that more in this episode as well. So the first thing I'd probably like to start out is, you know, really on this podcast, each family and person that joins me on the show has a unique learning journey to share. And that's what's really important for me is to share these stories and unique learning journeys so that others can hear them and be familiar with ones that are different and that others have experienced outside of the walls of the classroom. And what I find is over the many years and the hundreds of people that I've spoken to, hundreds if not thousands of people already, this life learning, this unique life learning is based on a framework of beliefs and values around learning and self-expression. So as a music educator and as a musical parenting coach, as a music parent coach, maybe we can start with the idea of music or what music is. So at this stage in your life, because I know it changes as we age and go through different experiences, what does music mean to you at this stage in your life?
2: Wow. I love that question. Um, because at this stage in my life, I've been going through, I think the same thing everyone else has been going through, which is having disruptions in my connection with other people. And for me throughout my life, music has always been about connecting with other people, um, whether in, you know, intimate relationships, one-on-one relationships, or in religious relationships, in relationship with a religious community, or in relationship to people in my neighborhood or my school, or even in professional musical performing um, situations, music for me has always been about connecting. And during this last year and a half or so, what's happened for me is that I've been waking up with dreams of songs that I used to sing when I was a girl that were really precious to me then, but that I'd forgotten about for, I would say, a couple decades. And they've been coming back to me as I've been waking up and I've been singing them to myself. And I actually decided... After talking with someone about dreams and what they mean and and what what the practice of dreaming and being aware of our dreams means, I decided to have a practice of actually purposely remembering and recording those songs when I woke up and then writing them down and purposely singing them to myself every day and So what that's done for me during this time when everything's been topsy-turvy is it's reminded me of the time when I was singing those songs as a girl and when everything was stable, as far as I knew, you know, I had a reliable home situation. I had a reliable church family and we had regular meetings where we were so connected and it was so beautiful and so warm and so wonderful and singing those songs together, was what connected us and and what added to that feeling of safety and stability. And so for me now, when everything is topsy-turvy, that's just connected me back to that feeling. And it's also connected me to a hope of when things will be stable again and, and how maybe music can be part of that. Music can be part of how things don't just go back to normal, but things can be more beautiful and more connected and more wonderful Um, as this new world situation develops. So as I say, for me, music's always been about uh, connecting, but right now music is about um, connecting to what's stable and beautiful and hopeful for me um, from the past and hopefully going into the future.
1: Wow. Um, I love that. That's actually not what I expected. And I absolutely love that. And I understand that. And it's, Interesting that you talk about how lately you've been waking up and dreaming about songs from when you were younger and songs that are important to you and connected to you and have meaning for you as well. And it also, I think in many ways is a testimony to how powerful music is in your life and how deeply rooted and connected you are to music, how it almost seems like a grounding force in some ways for you. Um, Has it always, has music always been that way for you since since you were very young? Or is that something that has become more precedent or powerful for you as you got older?
2: Yes, I would say music is a grounding force for me. That's that's really a a cool way of looking at it. That um, I would say the first memory I have... One of the first memories I have, one of my earliest memories is of being a four year old girl and of having been given a solo in our church's Christmas cantata, which was a Sandy Patty cantata called The Gift Goes On. And I was the child soloist in in the title song. And I remember being at the microphone and when I was there on the, uh, you know, on the altar in front of the congregation singing that song, I suddenly started to feel like the light of the spotlight, you know, that the tech team was shining on me. I started to feel that that light wasn't the only light there, that there was actually a light shining from inside of me as I sang. And as I was singing with the choir and, and the other people who were, you know, on the altar, which we could call a stage, but mm-hmm. for that, for that, for that purpose, it wasn't really a stage. It was part of the, part of the sanctuary. And that again, as a memory from being four years old and, and, and that memory was so transporting. And so again, connecting to everyone, um, And and just having having that musical memory is one of my one of my most intense early memories, I think, Um, is just a part of my life story that that kept on going as far as how music was really important to me, Um, that uh, that experience was the beginning i guess of my musical performing life um because there's a, there was an aspect of you know the religious community there but then there was also an aspect of performing because i'd been chosen to sing the song and when i sang the song i did have a mind and a will to perform with accuracy you know to be on the beat and to sing in tune and to blend with people and 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 to be clear and to be beautiful for the for the sound to be beautiful and um so starting there from four years old, I can remember many other times when um, my parents were really, were really supportive of me and, and the fact that I had this musical orientation and they started me on the violin when I was eight years old and on the flute when I was 10. And I started singing in choirs outside of church Um, in elementary school. There was like an all district choir that I was in that, that had special meetings of different schools all together. And so all through my childhood music, Music was really intense, both in the religious context, but also outside of it in our community and in our schools. And as time went on, I started joining choirs and, and bands and orchestras that would tour together in our region and also across the country. And so, yes, music was always a part of my life from childhood. Um, And it was both something that was technically important to me, it was important to me to um, sharpen my skills and to be good at it to a standard, but it was also important to me socially, um, as, as a person being with other people. And what I found is that When I started doing more stuff abroad, so when I left the U.S. to go to graduate school, um, I found that finding people to sing with, so finding choirs to join, um, finding people to jam with, things like that. When I did those things, then I started feeling like myself. And then I started feeling like I belonged. And then I started feeling like I was safe. Um, And that happened, you know, when I um, as I was telling you before we started, you know, um, when I first came to Portugal and then I did a little bit of time in the UK and some time in Italy. And as I said, each time when I found people to do music with, I felt, I felt secure, you know, I felt okay. And so that kind of brings me back to what you were asking about whether music was grounding for me. And it definitely has been very grounding for me throughout my life.
1: Mm. So were your parents musicians?
2: well <laughs> that's a really good question <laughs> neither one of my parents played any instruments that i could see but both of my parents sang a lot my dad when he was young it seems that he was part of sort of an exported maybe anglican tradition of boy choir so he was taught solfege and he sang in solfege and was very enthusiastic about singing and would sing around the house and obviously sang at our church because the church that we were part of uh um, uh, music was a big part of worship and singing hymns and also singing in in, in free harmony um, with each other. That was a big part of it. And, and he was always enthusiastic about that. And then my mom, I believe my mom had aspirations to be some sort of classical singer because she had this... Um, I don't know if you she had this voice that when we think about opera and we laugh about it, she had that voice that would seem pretentious, but it was really earnest. It was like, "Ah!" you know, she would do that at home randomly. And also, of course, she was also with us with with church and and the singing that we did at church. So both parents were singers and good singers, you know, and and constant, enthusiastic singers. (laughs) But neither one of them, I think, played instruments or had any um, like professional um, practice of music of their own.
1: Mm, okay. Okay. I always wonder as well too, because how much of an influence our parents have in those things, how much, not even an influence, but also the support or the modeling as well. Right. And, and I, so I could see as well as you're young and growing up at, in a home where, where music and singing, especially for your parents, doing it around the house in social environments in places like, Church as well and places of worship that are still important to your family that it's all tied in together that they're still singing at home they're still singing in you know on all of those places and spaces as well and um, and how it would be very natural for you to take part as well, right? Because it would be an extension of them, but also something that they probably showed, you know, comfort in uh, too, you know, and um, presence in as well. So I'm always curious to ask if, you know, how our parents modeled those things for us when we're growing up. So it's always interesting. So I'm wondering, um, because, you know, this is also a conversation that we had before, and I would love for for listeners, for you to um, start talking about this as well, because this is when we were chatting and I'm like, this is a great important theme for the podcast, for a podcast episode on music. And, um, you know, what I find in this podcast and over the years is that for parents specifically that are looking to find a learning life with their family outside of the traditional school walls, and when they start uh, embracing that in not only their learning, it starts to trickle, has a trickle effect in all areas of their life, in different areas of their life, especially in the beliefs and values that they hold around things like how children learn, how anyone learns, uh, how we speak, how we parent, um, how we work and our view of the world around us and our relation to the world as well. And, you know, music is something that when you think about it within the classroom walls, within the school, it's usually compartmentalized. It's usually like, we're going to go to music class or I have music class two times a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 10 o'clock, and then it's done. Or we're doing music for a Christmas concert or for another concert. And then that's it. Music is music. You have your music teacher, or maybe you don't. And then it's not really extended into other areas. But I know when we were talking, you talked about how music is a part of it's still a huge part of learning that actually encompasses everyday life. It encompasses every part of our life, not just breaking it into subjects, but in our being, in our movement, in our presence as well. Could you talk a little bit more about that and your views on that? How is it that music is really part of the whole person and that it's not compartmentalized into just a music
2: class? Oh, wow. Okay. So I think the the, the perspective I take on music is of, uh, is related to a popular meme that I've been seeing around social media nowadays where People are saying, you know, all behavior is communication. Um, from my perspective, especially working with young children, which is my my area of expertise, infants and young children, from my perspective, um all behavior is musical and we can see all behavior as musical as being rhythmic as having an intensity as having attention and release as having a tone we can see all behavior in that way and when we begin to see behavior in that way we can also use a metaphor from music of tuning in we can start to see music as a way of communicating but also as a way of relating to each other and we can start to see our relationship relationships as musical right our relationships as having a rhythm of having as having a tone as having tension and release um and and also as having sort of the humor that we find the joy and the humor and creativity that we find in music and and Again, going back to talking about young children and how young children learn to communicate before young children know words. Young children definitely know intonation. They know when, you know, your intonation is rising and they know when it's falling. They know when you're talking slowly and they know when you're talking really fast. They know when your voice is low and they know when it's high. And those things are meaning them. How much attention they should pay to you how calm they can be um just this is the way that i think of music um in our lives as as communication as relationship and basically as in everything that we do together and so if, if we want to start compartmentalizing it into actual um cultural cultural things like actual songs from our culture um, Then, you know, we can start thinking about, oh, okay how do I relate to my child in a song? How do I relate to my my child um, in in another a work of music? You know, we can think about those cultural pieces of, you know, composed music, but we can also think of. Of everything we do, like humming or whistling, or even as I say, the tone of our voice as as musical, and all of our relating as as music in a way. And um, I could talk more about that in a more technical way, but I feel like I feel like thinking of music as as the way that we are together and the way we relate to each other is the best way to say what my perspective is on that.
1: I love that. I, I I totally, I completely get that. So, but okay. So here's my question. When do we be, when did we become disconnected from that? When did we start taking music and believing it was something separate that we should compartmentalize? And when did we stop seeing it as part of, of our whole self? Like, when did that happen? Because <laughs> it seems like for so many of us that has what, ha- or maybe we don't, actually name it or recognize it i'm not sure, but
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well I think maybe there maybe if I try to take like a big, like make a big statement about history or the world. I would say that in different parts of the world, you know, there are many parts of the world where music is not compartmentalized, where everyone is seen as musical and everyone participates in, in music and in community as a musicking person. Um, I would say that professionalization of music, um, which, you know, is, has only been around for a few hundred years. That's something that's changed the way we relate to music. And then also making music academic. So making it something that's studied in a conservatory or especially um, in writing, which is uh, which is not very common, like in, in the cultures of the world, written music is not actually that common if we sit and think about it. And it's, it's also hasn't been around for very long. Um, but those different things, those things, I think, are what have encouraged people to become disconnected from their right to be musical and their right to participate in, in, in music fully. Um, I think also the ways that music is taught in school um, where people are graded and ranked and where people are auditioned and excluded. And, and then people begin to think that this is what music is. Music is the place where I'm judged and excluded and and where I am graded low or told that I can't participate because I'm not good enough. Uh, I think all those things together have contributed to people feeling like they're not musical or they can't participate in music or they can't do music. Um, and, and yeah, I I hear, I think there are also some, some practices of talking about ourselves as, as musical beings, um, that I've noticed a lot, some really common ones. First of all, there's, um, the comment that, I can't sing, which is a very common phrase that I hear from people, which is also a very big lie. Everyone can sing. Even people who can't speak can sing. Babies can sing. Everyone can sing. But that phrase, I think, is kind of puts together all the things I was talking about where people think because I am not an accomplished professional musician. Therefore, I don't have a right to enjoy singing and i don't even have a right to call myself a singer. Um, so I do hear that phrase, I can't sing a lot. Um, I hear people relate the story of specifically having been told by a music teacher or choir director that they ought not to sing, or that they are quote unquote tone-deaf, which is another um, bit of a lying, lying phrase. <laughs> um, there are just a lot of cultural practices that that exclude people from feeling that they're musical and that people use on themselves to, 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 to keep sort of the trauma of that going. Um, and those are, those are pretty much the things I can think of at this moment that that are the reasons why people feel uh, disconnected from music. There, there's another phenomenon that that is a pet peeve of mine, which is that, In recent years, when people refer to music, they're they're not referring to singing or playing an instrument. They're referring to um, pressing a button on a machine. (laughs) (laughs) And electronic music or like. Yeah, yeah. Spotify or or like like mediatized some mediatized uh, recordings, you know, of of someone else's performance. That's not that's quite distant in time and place. Um, and so people are referring to tho- to that phenomenon more than they're referring to the phenomenon of actually making music or being with people, uh, being together with people musicking. And so I think the more, the more distant, even the, the idea of music gets that it it's inside a machine and it's far away and it's other people. I think that's another way that people get distance from, from thinking that they are musical, um, Yes, that's that's my answer to your question.
1: <laughs> no, that's a great answer. That's a great answer. Uh, it's you know you're being very concise, and I I also understand there's a huge amount to unpack with each part of it as well. But um, yeah, I think and I see it when you're talking about. It, I'm like, yes, that's right. You know, you think of music immediately. Immediately, everyone judges themselves like I'm either good at music or I'm bad at music. It's one of those like the math anxiety as well, right? I'm a mathematician or I'm not a mathematician. Um, when we know right now as well with neuroscience, that's not the case. Everyone's mathematical. Everyone's a mathematician. And I love, um, so there's a few things I wanted to ask you. I like, you used the term musicking when you were talking about that. Did you know you use that term? I just actually, it stood out to me and I wrote it down. I've, uh, I love that, musicking, when they're musicking, I think is how you said it, but
2: yes and it's a it's a it's a coinage that came from a really really cool academic called christopher small um it's making music into a verb instead of a noun because um th- there's kind of maybe no such thing as music as a noun usually um whatever we associate with that word music is something that someone's doing you know they're moving their body in some way you know <laughs> and um they're moving their body with other bodies and other people and other th- things and in nature and, and so I love the way that he thinks about that and, and the way he talks about it, because it kind of frees us to think about, okay, what am I doing? How am I doing this? How could I do this differently? Who who could I do this with, you know? Right. Um, and I've, I've loved that, that word ever since that term, ever since I learned it. Yeah. Um, and I think it also helps us open up a little bit more to um, music with young children, especially, and to being aware of how, um, all of our body is, is involved in, in, in music, right? So the way that we breathe, the, the, the posture that we're in, how close we are to the person that we're doing uh, the music with, with, which with children, that's a, that's a big, you know, sort of corner of my thing that, you know, children are low down and <laughs> we need to go where they are <laughs> to, to, to music with them and, and to make, the way that we make music with our bodies available for them to learn from. Um, so that, that way of saying musicking as a verb um, helps us access more of how we actually do music with our bodies and how we do music with other people who are important to us, especially the little people who are my biggest my biggest focus <laughs> right
1: right. okay that's amazing okay so okay I have another note that I wrote down I wanted to ask you about as well when you said tone deaf is not um I can't remember what that but you, that was one of the terms that people use or people have been called when you that you said is not realistic
2: or it's not valid can you talk more about that <laughs> Oh, yes, definitely. Well, I mean, I think it's it's usually not valid to, to go out from the growth mindset, which you were talking about before. It's like, you know, there's always a way that we can get better at any aspect of doing something. You know, there's always a way that we can become more aware of the beat. There's always a way that we can coordinate our body in a way that's more rhythmic. There's always a way that we can coordinate our breath so we sing more in tune or that our, our voice is more stable there's always a way that we can change something you know um there's always a way that we can hear more clearly if and pay attention uh more, more carefully to what we hear around us from other people and um so so that's the first problem with that word tone deaf is that it's it's saying oh you're excluded from this field where we can all do more or or improve and the other problem with that that phrase is that the actual state of not being able to perceive the difference between musical tones um, and also of not being able to perceive uh, the difference between the way our body is producing musical tones, these things are extremely rare, vanishingly rare. It's something less than Uh, much less than 1% of of human beings who have neurological conditions that keep them from being able to distinguish between tones that they hear. The real term for that condition is amuseal. So if anyone ever wanted to look that up and see what that's all about, that's the term a professional would use if they wanted to talk about. And so calling someone tone deaf is a lie because number one, you're not a neurologist who can make such (laughs) such a diagnosis. And number two, even if you were, you wouldn't be making it that often. (laughs) Very interesting. Okay.
1: Yeah. I'm learning new things every day and this, this hour, I'm learning a ton of new things. Okay. I love it. So that actually talking about that, I had no idea that actually even less than 1%, that's a tiny amount. Um, would like how would have that neurological condition, and yeah, because I've heard that often about people being called tone deaf. Because one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, if I'm a parent who has become disconnected with my musicality, with my with musicking, that I'm trying to now close that gap that has been in my life because I want my family to participate in musicking in our everyday life. What would you suggest for me? What would you like, What are some things that you would say as a parent to kids? You know, what are some things that I could do, especially if I'm feeling um, trauma or anxiety or fear around music because of something someone said
2: or labeled me as? I, I love the question you asked about how parents who feel inspired or interested in connecting to their own musicality and, and making that part of their life and part of their family life can begin to approach that if they have any blockages or, or reservations about it that might have come from their personal history or, or any other thing. Um, And the, the, the one, one of the things that I would say is that it just so happens that one of the ways that we improve our musicality, so that basic musicianship, so being able to move to a beat and, and perceive rhythms and sing in tune, um, and understand the things that we're hearing in in different contexts is by breathing, is by breathing with awareness of our breath and our body. Um, Just an initial breath before singing is something that can organize the tunefulness of our singing and the rhythmicness of our singing. And when we think about breathing and all of the talk that's been going on, you know, in the public in the last few years about uh, mindfulness and being more calm, and uh, you know, controlling anxiety and helping our own mood and and helping our physical relaxation. Breath is the breath is the word that keeps coming up again and again. So I would say the number one thing for parents is be you know become aware of your breath. You know, take care of yourself. Become aware of how your breath is in your own body. And so before each um, session that I have with families and with groups, we start with breathing exercises. You start we start with breathing awareness. I shouldn't call it an exercise because that makes it sound strenuous. But we start with breathing awareness, you know, with going inside, feeling the breath, feeling where it is in the body, relaxing, feeling how our body is uh, related to the ground and also feeling how our body is relating to other people, especially the people we want to communicate with musically. Um, so that doesn't sound like, you know, like, Oh, okay, well, we're in the key of C and, uh, it's four, four time, but it is actually something that's really basic for reconnecting to our musicianship is reconnecting to our breath and reconnecting to our body and the tension in our body. And when you start doing that, you also start addressing these feelings of anxiety or depression or even, uh, low self-esteem or unworthiness or whatever, you know, cause you, 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 you yeah, you become a little more calm and focused. Um, so that's the number one thing I would do. And then of course, the number two thing I would suggest is to just start singing more and, and not to worry about whether you're singing like the, like the Sesame street song said, um, don't worry that it's not good enough for anyone else's ear. You have to remember that and, and just sing, you know, um, sing anytime that you feel like singing. <laughs> um, And sing without the idea that the person listening to you is judging you the same way that person who said that mean thing to you a long time ago did. Uh, Your baby um, is not using the same kind of judgment that that choir director did or, or that that mean girl at your school did. Your baby doesn't think that way. Your preschooler doesn't think that way. They like you, first of all. And second of all, they're not a professional musician, <laughs> so they're not judging you either intellectually or emotionally. So uh, use your breath. Uh, remember where you are and who you're with, and sing as much as you can. Yeah. Sing as or more more than you think you can. <laughs> those are the those are the starting points that I would have. And and all of the starting points that I'm mentioning are bodily starting points. So um, so don't necessarily think of a machine or mediatized music as the way that you're going to recover your music. Musicianship. Think of your breath and your body, and making music with your actual body in actual space as the way that you're going to start recovering um, your your personal musicality.
1: Okay, okay, that's great. I, I'm sitting here, I'm writing so many notes, and I have a big smile on my face, especially when you sing. I love it. Okay, because mm-hmm. um, that was uh, that was the next thing I was going to ask you as well. Is what about instruments? How do instruments fit into that? But I I definitely understand when you're talking about you know using bodily starting points using your breath using your body singing whenever you feel like singing and modeling that as well especially to your young ones so they see and understand that um mm-hmm. and so in, as we get more into that would would you you know cuz sometimes there's there's some who seem drawn to an instrument as their um as part of their musicality as part of, of their um they're musicking. I'm. I'm going to try and practice using that word as much. As Thank you. My, my new word. I'm going to practice. Uh, so, what do you say about that as well? Because I know you had said, for example, your parents who sang a lot. They sang at home. They sang at church. Uh, but the, as far as you know, they didn't play any instruments. But you, you played the violin and flute. Is that right? Am I remembering that correctly? A little bit later in your life. How did that? Did that end up being a supporting role? to your body making music to the way you were musicking was that an enhancement or was that just kind of a further extension of that?
2: Well, um, yeah, I, I was lucky that I got to have lessons in instruments later on. And I, I also got to play things like the West African, um, djembe and I got to play some Brazilian instruments in, in, in a bateria. I got to join a really cool samba school. Um, What I would say about instruments is that they are an extension. You know, the last option you gave is the one I'm going to choose from my multiple choice. (laughs) uh, We can think of them, especially if we're we're thinking about, you know, cultivating young musicians, uh, young children as musicians. We can definitely think of them as an extension. They're a tool that you add on to your body, you know. But if the body itself is not well tuned, then you're going to have certain hiccups and difficulties with manipulating that instrument, you know. So starting with the inner instrument is, you know, the way to have the most stable and robust musicianship going forward. And you can always refer to that as you're gaining technical skills on uh, uh, an instrument outside of your body. And that's something I definitely... Um, advise parents on who who notice that their child maybe really loves instruments and really loves being musical, yes, find out the one that they like, definitely encourage them to find the one that they like, and also definitely keep encouraging the inner musician, the bodily musician that that plays all the other instruments to always be cultivated, because that bodily musician is also connected to a mental musician um, that we can call audiation, which are all of the skills that allow someone to manipulate music in their mind and then with their body um, but it starts with the breathing uh, it starts with the breathing and and the coordination of it comes from the breathing and then goes to the body and then goes to the instrument so that's how i would say um, to think about that definitely to think of the instruments as an extension of yourself as as a musicer <laughs> since we're using that word
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay okay all right um yeah, that makes total sense. I hadn't really specifically thought of it that way. But as you explained it, I'm like, yes, of course, that completely makes sense. And then when you're starting with the body, when you're starting internally, then then that truly builds a strong foundation, so that everything else builds onto that there was an extension of that as a tool and enhancement of that as well. So, okay, yes, that makes total sense. All right. Okay. I love it. I love it. So then when you, cause you work, especially with younger kids as well, right? And parents as well. How you might, I'm curious, I, I'm, I'm trying to imagine you working with a family with, with young kids and say they, the kids start from infancy. Do you, do you support parents and work with kids from that young of age?
2: Yes, I definitely do. <laughs> I even have colleagues who work with uh, with babies who are still in the womb, mothers who are carrying uh, babies in the womb. But yes, yeah, I start with babies, um, uh, babies who are very, very little. And the way that I help uh, mothers and babies begin uh, to cultivate the baby's musicianship is by going back to that that perspective of the music as being part of their relationship and being part of the way they communicate, so helping the mother to uh, when she takes her breath to begin to sing with the baby, to sing to the baby. She takes that breath and looks at the baby's face, you know, so the baby can look at her face and know, oh, this is for me. <laughs> <laughs> this is for me. And she takes the breath and she relaxes her body so that the music is flowing in her body. And the baby has a reference point to relaxation while the baby is listening to the music. And then we have some technical things that we do as far as making sure that the songs that the mom sings are within the initial audiation range of the baby. That's the range where the baby can think accurately about the tones and remember them and recognize them again and, and anticipate them again the next time they're presented. And, and, and also it's the range that the baby is going to be able to sing in when he begins, he or she begins to produce, um, to, to vocalize in musical ways, right. To, to, instead of just, bah, bah, you know, the longer, the longer sounds that the baby is beginning to make, um, in response to the moms, the moms is singing and moving mom, mom or dad singing and moving. So, um, Did that answer your question?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It did. Okay. Wow. Fascinating. Okay. Okay.
2: (laughs) I feel like I'm, yeah. Okay. Um, Yeah. And there's, there's more to encourage, uh, to encourage moms to basically build the sort of, um initial musical vocabulary of their babies, right? So to fill up their babies with all of this musical reference uh, while they're still little and building the same way that when we're with babies, we speak to them with a lot of words that begins to build their vocabulary before they can even speak in music. We do that too. We provide them with lots of different kinds of music. So uh, music that's happy, music that's sad, fast music, slow music, and then from the technical side, music that has different harmonic qualities, right? Music from different um, harmonic modes and different music from different meters, um, uh, rhythmic meters, uh, so that the child has so much to draw from as uh, as the child begins to experiment and make its own sounds and then begin to realize the difference between the sounds uh, he's making and, and what mommy or other people are making, and then to control and manipulate them and alter them and fit them to the actual uh, musical context of the moment. That, that development happens over the first five years of life, but it starts with first giving the child the, that initial musical vocabulary, that rich resource by filling the child's world with a lot of your own musicking. And as I said before, it, it should be as much as possible from a, a person's body because the baby learns how to use his body by being with other bodies that are being used, right? And tuning into them, which you help him tune in by making sure I'm looking at you. I'm my, I'm making my, moving my body to be with you. I'm watching how your body is, uh, you know, and you can see that because I might get down and make my body more like your body. Um, all of these things set the stage and then also fill up the the mental musical bank <laughs> for the child and also the, the movement musical bank for the child um, as, as, as the child is beginning.
1: Right, okay, okay. Because that is the next part I was also going to ask you is something like movement. Because for me, I always think that music is just a natural connection with mu- with movement as well, especially certain music. Sometimes you know you you are musicking, you're listening to music, you're creating music, and you can't help but you can't not help to move. It's like you you just all of a sudden have to move and flow, and and you can't stay still or stagnant how do you do you find the same for you as well or how do you incorporate that as well for families
2: Yeah, I think that's definitely being aware of the kinds of music that your own baby uh, responds to. And part of what I do with musical coaching is helping the parent understand the child's natural rhythm and also understand the child's musical taste, what the child likes to listen to, and also what the child responds to, what the child will try to imitate, is most likely to try to imitate because she likes it. Um, Being aware of the different... um, the different modes of music, the different, um, styles of music, the different levels of, of arousal of the music, that's really important and that's really worthwhile. And there's no right or wrong as far as which, which music you should want to dance to or which music your child should like there's, there, there is, there is no right or wrong. It's just a, a matter of awareness and tuning in for yourself and, and, and for the baby. Did I'm not sure if that really answered your question. I kind of just went off on a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay.
1: your, your tangents all, all come together and they all completely make sense as well, too. I, I was actually thinking when you're talking about um, finding or supporting your child's natural rhythm and their musical taste, I'm thinking how like when they're an infant, how do you you know, ways that you recognize that and you see that do they still have their own musical taste as an infant?
2: Yes. In fact, I've seen research that says they have musical taste while they're still in utero. that's different from their mom's musical taste, which I think yeah. is really amazing. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. That's distinct, I should say. Not necessarily different, but distinct. Um, and the way, you know, the way, you know, is the way, you know, anything your child likes, you can watch your child's face. You can watch the tension. You can watch the, 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 how open the eyes are. You can watch, um, how, where the eyes are focusing. You can watch the tension of the body. You can watch how the body is moving. You can watch if the child is, trying to synchronize to the music, you know, you can watch, like you said, if the child does start dancing or start moving like a really fun meme I've been seeing on Instagram, where there's that robotic voice that says play this music and see what your child does. And then they play it. And you, (laughs) yeah, you've seen it. The, The baby turns towards the camera and gets these bright eyes and starts bouncing around, you know, like every baby has music that, that he prefers and you can know how, what, that he or she prefers um by tuning in, by watching and by listening uh, to the way the the body is moving, the way the face is and the way the breath is. Cause some babies <laughs> they pant when they hear something that they like, you know, you you know your baby and just tune into that. And that's how you're gonna know um your baby's taste, what your baby likes. So and you had
1: mentioned before as well, when we're
2: talking about young Kids
1: in infancy, that there is a certain time. I think it's up to five years of age, that they're learning to they're learning their musical vocabulary, um, and their musicali- musicality. I'm trying to think. Is that the time period from? from infancy to five you had mentioned a time period um, really yeah
2: definitely right? i and i i probably I, I misused a term so um from 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 birth to five when i say music vocabulary i don't mean words that they use to refer to music i mean the elements of music like like music like um like, uh, rhythms and, and tones and, and cadences and things like that, that they're hearing, uh, that they're hearing. I don't mean words, uh, semantic words that they use to refer to music that happens much, much later. (laughs) Uh, but, um, yeah, yeah, it is from birth to five, a time that in, from the context of, of Gordon music learning theory is called preparatory audiation. So that's a time when they're developing, um, uh, more of a stability of being able to control, Um, uh, to discriminate mentally and then also control as far as what they produce with their bodies um, um, tones and rhythms
1: okay okay so that's pretty clear so then I know one of the questions that parents are going to ask that have kids that are older than five uh, if I've missed out on that portion is it too late if my kids are older and I didn't support that from the early years on supporting those elements of music, like their tuning in and understanding, being connected to their rhythms and tones and cadence. Can they still get that at an older age?
2: Yes, I think you knew my answer was going to be, of course, <laughs> it's never too late. It's never too late to support anything for anyone. I think, I, I mean, I have colleagues who work with senior citizens who have suddenly decided that at age, you know, 78, they would like to start playing the piano, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's never too late. Again, we, we're going back to this, this perspective that you can always, do something in a different way and build on what you already doing and, and feel something a different way, become more aware and, and develop. You can always from wherever you are, develop more. And so we can always support a child from wherever the child is to develop more. Always, always, always. And, and, and also um, I'm, I'm reminded of a a friend who had a three-year-old daughter um, who had been at home till then, but, my friend was starting to work, wanted to go to work and she was looking for preschools. And, uh, she was saying to me, but they're, they're all saying that she has to be potty trained before she comes. Should I, should I, should I wait to send her to school or should I just, should I, should I just send her now? And I'm like, just send her now (laughs) you know send her now they can help her because if you wait too long then she's going to be too old to be in a classroom with you know four and five year olds send her while she's three while there are other kids who are still not potty trained and then it'll be perfect you know it'll be fine she'll learn at the same time as the other kids and it's not like she's not going to be potty trained there I don't think we know anyone who isn't potty trained as an adult right (laughs) everyone yeah yeah, exactly. we don't.
1: Someone else has said that to me too. Do you know anybody who's an adult that's not body trained? No,
2: everyone knows how to go to the bathroom and use it. Yeah, so it's going to happen. And whenever you start supporting them, it's fine. So it's, it's, you don't lose hope because you didn't do it before you just start doing it now. Like, I don't know if I, that was even a good story. The engineer may want to cut that out, (laughs) but like you start from where you are and just know that there's always a good future ahead. You know, like, I don't know how else to say what I'm, what I'm trying to say. Like, there's never not hope and there's never not a reason to go for it. It, If your child is a prodigy who's supposed to be, you know, a historical musical figure, there's pretty much nothing you can do to keep that from happening. Right. (laughs) Right. But if, if your child is normal, if your child is in the middle of the bell curve, like most people are. Um, it's always worthwhile to support your child. You can always help your child. It's, you, you, they're always going to be able to do something and participate in music and and have a musical life and relate to the musical world. And it's always worth it to support them. I don't know if I made sense in any of that. I, <laughs> you I, I did. No, you you made total sense.
1: <laughs> you made total sense. I love it. And it's true. It's never too late. And, and um, yeah, no, it was very, very clear. So I agree. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to answer it so eloquently as well. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to be I want to be mindful of your time as well cuz actually Econ is in a completely different continent than I am here and so I want to be mindful of your time as well. So if you could maybe if before we finish up I'm, before we finish up I do want to ask if you could let us know how we can connect with you, how we can learn more about you and what you do. And if we're parents are interested in connecting with you. So first I wanted to ask if, um, because I love how you had left us with those two important points about breath for anyone who is a parent that feels they are disconnected from their musicality, from their musicking. It's actually so true how our breath and our breathing is so centering, and how mm-hmm. so many times we hold our breath, especially when we're anxious or scared or rushed, and we don't take the time to stop
2: and to breathe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm that's true it's definitely true and when you when you tune into that you sort of feel a relief and like feel every all the good things rushing back to you like oh yeah that's how good I can feel that's how connected I can feel that's how grounded I can feel yeah definitely (laughs) and if if
1: you're tuning in I'm probably going to edit this part out but it kind of was so patient and kind (laughs) today because my dog was making all kinds of noise here (laughs) in this (laughs) podcast episode and I had to uh, actually go and put him downstairs in the house away from my office here and um she patiently waited but in in the rush to do so I became out of breath running up and down the stairs and putting him in the house and so coming back and then recentering. and I thought it you know I wanted her to actually um I, I share a little bit more about the, the breath and just starting, starting singing for parents that are wanting to reconnect with their musicking. But then, of course, it stood out to me that the first thing that I need to do is connect to my own breath (laughs) and Mm -hmm. take a breath and a moment and breathe and become more grounded and take that my breath from my foundation and my sense of presence right now. So I always find it so interesting that... Every interview I do or episode I record, because um, we had we talked about this, I think throughout this episode as well. Like you're talking about, it's never too late. Um, we're all uh, you had said you're you're still le- everything is a learning process for you, and how we are lifelong learners. That there is always something that I learn from each person that I connect with, and I mean I've learned a ton in this interview today. And I know many parents are going to really connect with it as well. And so I want to thank you. And sometimes it's also just a reminder of something that we maybe know or heard, but we've kind of taken it into our brain, but we haven't stopped to let it sink down and apply for ourselves and our own being. So it just, yeah, really stood out to me at that moment about the importance of breath and how for you, we're talking about the importance of music and musicking, my new word as well. Thank you. But you say like, you're not like, go out and get these fancy lessons and these big instruments and all these sort of things. You talk about how the beginning is with our breath. And I love how simple that is as well. And how I think for you, it's been a lifelong foundation too. So (laughs) on that long tangent that I just went on, are there any other points or any other tips that you would like to share with parents that are looking to connect with their musicking and their musical self so that they can continue to model and support it for their children?
2: Um, well, you, you covered it pretty much. And, um, I think just being aware of the rhythm of your day with your kids and all of these touch points when, uh, you know, traditionally, you know, our ancestors and in older cultures, we have, have, have brought music into our day, you know, the touch points like, um, like when we eat or when we go in and out of the house or when we're going down to sleep or, you know, all of these, these rhythms of our day, bring music into those, bring singing into those and, and just do it because, you know, just, just do it because you like singing, because you like being musical because you like the delight it brings to kids and the way that they tune into it and, 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 and bounce to it and, and laugh about it. Mm -hmm. And, Yeah. So just tune into those those rhythms of your day and bring music into those specific touch points of your day. And, you know, I would invite you to come along with me. I support parents and how to actually do that with some free um, encounters on the app Clubhouse. I have weekly opportunities to join with me in doing that and I also have a presence on social media on Instagram my at is singing home and from there you can click through to my website and see other ways to work with me directly and I of course welcome everyone and especially if you have preschoolers in your home that's my specialty and my delight.
1: I love thank you. And I will actually include it in the show notes as well. So your link to clubhouse or to clubhouse and your name so that they can find you on clubhouse and your Instagram too. I will link that in the show notes. So if you're listening and you want an easy way to reach a condom, just go to the show notes and you can click on the links there and you can find her uh, in those areas. So thank you so much. I, I love this episode and I appreciate you taking the time and I'm looking forward to speaking with you again
2: thank you so much Robin I enjoyed it too it was really really fun and 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 thank you for having me thank you
0: Thanks for tuning in today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share, leave a review or comment. I'd love to hear your thoughts, ideas and reflections on the episode. You can go to the website, imhomeschooling.com or email me directly, robin at imhomeschooling.com.